Today, I'm going to go over the overview of the historical and cultural context of both books. You need to know this. I'm going to show the comparison of their literary styles and themes. It's good to know the styles so that no one can fool you. It's like, you know what styles are? Styles are like languages, right? Or tones of voices. That's why when I was grading uh, my students, some of them came up with some stuff that I said, that's not your voice. That's not you. You get familiar with their style. So I'm going through, and I'm like, look at this. You think you're going to get an A on this? I know that's not your language. You've never spoken like that in any colloquium. And anything you've written, you, and all of a sudden, you're like, blue here I am, the great philosopher, Socrates. So you've got to learn the style. You know Moses. You know Moses' style as you read. You know Luke's style as you read. You understand Paul. Like I know what's not Paul in the Pauline letters. I know which is not Paul because it didn't sound like him. Like Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that is not Paul because I can hear you in your writing. And regardless of the maturity that Paul demonstrated, because you can still see the pattern of maturity from when he was first started to when he was in prison to when he was much older, you see the pattern, but you still hear Paul. You get to Hebrews, you're like, this is attributed to, he- to, to Paul? No. And there are people that will fight you tooth and nail telling you that, that Hebrews was written by Paul. It doesn't sound like him. All right. Literary style. And the key chapters today, we're going to just stay focused on. I promise to try my best to stay there. Exodus chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. So date and setting, let's go there. Overview of the historical and cultural context, date and setting. The book of Exodus is traditionally believed to be written by Moses and likely dates back to the 15th or 13th century before Christ. 13th century before Christ. That's a long time before Jesus. So this is good for you to know. So when somebody tells you, well, you know, when Jesus and Moses walked together, you should react to that. Or tell them, what do you mean by that? Because there is a point where Jesus does meet with Moses. But they got to know that, and you got to know that. It covers events that occurred several centuries earlier during the time of the patriarchs and the oppression of the Israelites in Egypt. Egyptian oppression. That's another one I want. So date and setting I gave you. This is for for, uh, Exodus. Egyptian oppression. Exodus begins with the account of the Israelites' enslavement in Egypt. So when it starts off, it already gives you a tragic story. How did these people become enslaved? Well, first off, they started growing extensively. It was just an explosion of Hebrew people just out of just 70 people that started with. It was only 70. Those 70 
turned into millions within 400 years. During this period, Egypt was a powerful and dominant civilization. So just like in Luke, in Exodus, Egyptians are the ones who are running the show. In Luke, it's the Romans. There's always a dominant culture. Every time you read the word, I want you to do this from now on. Every time you read, I want you to find the dominant culture. Can anybody tell me why is it important to find the dominant culture? Anybody tell me why? Very good. Because the dominant language, that style will always be the style used for whatever. If it was through Babylon, the Babylonians will be dominant. If it was the Assyrians, the Assyrians will be dominant in the language, in the writings. If it's the Medo Persians, the same thing. If it's the Greeks, we already know. You'll find that the Greeks have dominated a substantial amount of, and mind you, <laughs> it's interesting, right? Even when the Greeks were not the dominating force, they were always the dominant force in knowledge. Even if they were not the actual civilization that was running everything, you find that that civilization still used Greek methodology, psychology, philosophy in their writings, in their structure, in their infrastructure. That's good to know because you'll see why Luke, to me, is the most, one of the most interesting disciples in the word. His, his approach is different. There's a lot of unique things that are to, to the book of Luke that you will not find anywhere else. Let's continue. The Exodus and wilderness wanderings. That's going to be a good portion. Because you're going to find that 40 years in the desert creates stories. Man, 40 minutes with you creates stories. So can you imagine 40 years? So a lot of things are going to be talked about within those 40 years. The central event of the book is the exodus itself, the leaving. What is an exodus? An exodus is a leaving. It's, a, it's a, a massive leaving from one place to another. You know, and it doesn't even have to be massive. Like, we, we left the Bronx. That was, that's an exodus. We're here now. So that was our exodus. On top of that, you find that the Israelites, they spent, I, meant, I mentioned that 40 years wandering in the wilderness, before finally reaching the borders of Canaan, the promised land. God will always, in our life, grant us the opportunity to see what he wants to give us before giving it to us. You didn't catch that, but I heard amen over there. God will show you what potentially could have been yours. He will show you have you passed right by it? Even people that were supposed to work with you, you passed by them several times until the right moment. Why? Because he doesn't want you to mess up a bridge. Because the bridge is not just for you. The bridge is for others too. So if introduced prematurely, 
it becomes an abortion. And when you burn a bridge, that bridge is hard to reconstruct. So the goal here is to allow people to see. Was that the promised land? I don't know. But that's the same mountain we saw. And you keep going through the same vicious cycle until you get that right. Once you get the little things right, then God says, okay, now it's time to allow you to build and cross the bridge. What's sad? That we in our humanity, we live day to day. So pleasure today is what I aim for. That's my, that's my desire. Today. And we miss out on what's coming. We create an anti-future. We oppose the very thing that God's created us to do. We oppose it by living for the day and not realizing that that cycle that I'm going through is vicious and it can be stopped. Every cycle has its moment where you can put a stop to it. All right, let's continue. The third part in this is the covenant law. Covenant law, you're going to find that all throughout. This was still in the overview of the historical and cultural context. Covenant in law at Mount Sinai, very key place, Mount Sinai. You'll hear me talk about that. That's going to be part of the final exam eight weeks from now. Mount Sinai. Everything happens at Mount Sinai. Moses received the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, forming a covenant between God and the Israelites. Now, the Ten Commandments weren't the only commandments. Oh, perfect. There we go. That little sliver of land right there, that, that whole area, that's where all of this is taking place. You got the Red Sea. You got the, uh, you see that peninsula right there that kind of dips down? Everybody seeing this? Oh, good. Praise the Lord. That little area right there is where they kept circulating. You see that, that constant going around because the promised land was in the for, further, further eastern part of that picture. I, I, I'm, I'm, she's helping me out. Got you. Yeah, amen. I, I don't understand what you just said. But the bottom line is that all of the things that are there is exactly what they kept seeing over and over again. It was a cycle. It sounds like our lives. Is that what you were saying? The thing is, I'm like, she's going... You know what? I'm going to invest in one of those red things. Yeah. That actually can show on there. All right. So you see the, the, the whole traveling scenario. They started off in the land of Goshen. They came around here. Now, this cycle continued on. This wasn't just a one-time hit. It was constant. They got to see the same things over and over again until... The spies went in to the promised land, which is up there, right? That little area. Because the sliver of land up there, if you could understand all of this, if you could really pay attention to how it's broken down, can you show a map of all of Israel? Do we have that one? You have it? Okay, perfect. So that way you can see what this really is when you see the whole thing. It's a sliver of land. Israel, all of Israel today is like all of New Jersey. Literally, it's the state of New Jersey, just in space. 
in mass. Now, what's good about this is that you also, later on, you're going to see this again, being occupied by the tribes. Every tribe is going to have a section of land that's been given to them in this promised land. Goshen, you see Goshen up there? Goshen was the place where it all started because that was the land that was allotted by Joseph to his family. The Pharaoh of that time said, I'm going to give you guys this land. It belongs to you. So everything started in Goshen. Almost. I'm going to let you look for it while I continue on over here. Overview of the historical and cultural context of Luke. Now, let's go to go. We're going to put this on hold for a minute. We're going to go now to the book of Luke. Authorship and date. Well, we already said that Exodus was written by Moses. The authorship of Luke is who? Luke. Real simple. Ah, there we go. This is what I want to show you guys. So if you pay attention, that little area that, that was, was talking about was down here. That was Sinai. This is the promised land, Israel. And here we're going to find that all of this and even parts of Egypt and parts of Jordan, parts of Syria, parts of Lebanon, even this whole area called the West Bank, all belonged to Israel. Today, the battle has always been that this area, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip, that's over here, this little area, belong to the Palestinians. But you know who Palestinians are? Believe it or not, a lot of Palestinians are Hebrew. They're from the descendants of. They remained in the land and lost their identity while remaining in the land. You ask somebody, what tribe are you from in Israel? They don't really know. No. Not yet, at least. Very soon, that's going to be, that's going to change. They don't know. Most people say they're from the tribe of what? Say it loud. Who said that? Judah. Because Judah means Jewish. Juden means Judah, which means Jewish. So everybody claims to be of the southern tribe. I'm not going to get into that right now. But just so you know, that's the divide that's going on in Israel. Thank you for that. Let's continue. I don't want to deviate too far. So the authorship and date, the Gospel of Luke is attributed to Luke, a physician and companion of the Apostle Paul. It is the third gospel in the New Testament and is believed to have been written in the late first century, likely around 80 to 90 A.D., roughly. The Roman Empire was in control. The gospel of Luke was composed during a time where the Roman Empire was in control of a significant portion of the Mediterranean world. The Pax Romana which means Roman peace. By the way, Roman peace was nothing more than an irony. There was no such thing as Roman peace. Pax Romana, peace declared by the Romans, facilitated relative stability and allowed for the spread of ideas and culture. I will, tell, I will say this, giving them credit, right? 
the Roman Empire did one thing right. When they conquered, they conquered and still allowed you to still run your own, have your own religion. So they, they didn't conquer and say, we're taking over, you have, you're going to now do our religion. They conquered and said, we want to make sure that you're still capable of running your own thing because we really don't want your religion, nor do we want you to have our religion. You know what we want from you. Just, just, give, just give me the moolah. Pay your tributes. Do whatever you want. We don't care. And that allowed the, Jew, the Jewish religion and, and many others to, to flourish during that time period. Jewish context, despite the Hellenistic influences, the Gospel of Luke maintains strong ties to its Jewish roots. A little bit about Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'm only going to go with the first four verses. Hopefully, you can get the snapshot picture that I got of Luke with just the first four verses. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's go. Look what he says. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having care, look at this, look what he says. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you. Listen to this man speak. If you can hear his voice today, you know what he's saying? It's good. That they got their own stuff, they wrote their stuff, but I'm going to give you an account that comes from a different angle. I'm going to show you something that may not come from just visually looking at what took place, but by way of doctoral interview. Ah, Luke was a physician, and as a doctor, he understood certain principles. He understood critical thinking. He was an investigator. He wanted to make sure that he interviewed the right people to get the right story. And it's not like somebody else's story is wrong because remember when I said if you, are, you see a, an accident take place and you're on one side, you can't tell the whole story because you only could see that one view. So Luke is a certain view of the same story. It's not that he's saying it and it's wrong. There is no contradiction. It is his point of view. Point of view. I'm here and this is what I can see. So I'm going to give you my point of view and I'm going to go even further than that. I'm going to interview. You know who, he, who, who the first person he interviewed? Anybody going to guess? Mary. Very good. Very good. First person he interviews is Mary. And if you pay attention, which we're not going to do today, today is not the narrative, but today, um, the first person he interviews is Mary, and you know what he does? He finds out her perspective of what took place. Matthew didn't do that. Matthew didn't interview Mary. Even though Matthew got, he, there was some truth, right? A lot of truth. But Mary didn't care to talk about the, uh, the things that have to do with 
the kings and the kings of the east. She, her focus was what took place at that moment and what impacted her. And so what he did was he wrote about the impact on her. Also, even in the uh, narrative, this is also important to know, I've shared with you before that when you look at the genealogy of Matthew and of Luke, they're different. Folks, do not let anyone tell you, oh, look what I found. See, there's a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction. Make sure you always are prepared to bring back something else and say, no, Luke interviewed Mary. Matthew only knew about Joseph. So when you look at the genealogy, Joseph and Mary, even though they're from the same tribe of Judah, they have a different background. As a matter of fact, you know where it changes? It changes twice, but where it really changes is when they get to David. The moment it gets to David, for Mary, it's Nathan. For Joseph, it's Solomon. Is anybody with me? I don't want, I don't want to lose anyone. All right. When we talk about a genealogy, what are we talking about? Somebody, what are we talking about? We're talking about genealogy. Generation. Okay, so what is, what is my genealogy? The, the immediate genealogy. My genealogy. Pena. Okay. Through my father's side. Through my mother's side. And through my mother's side. Through my mother's side. Through my father's side. So all of these names are put down because it is important for the Jewish religion to know who you're from, where you came from. Who are your parents, 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 parents? Because the determining fact of your attitude and your character sometimes, they want to make sure it's related. Oh, that's the reason why. Oh, that's why you liar. You, you collected Judas. In other words, that was a joke, by the way. In other words, it's important to know that they wanted to make sure they knew that the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. But not just from the tribe of Judah. They had to eliminate certain people in the bloodline because they could not be a part of it like Solomon. Solomon could not have been a part of the bloodline of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus doesn't have Solomon in him. Jesus has David, Davidic, but not Solomon. Because Jesus, his father, is God. So Joseph was not his real father. Even though Joseph's lineage, look how God, look how technical God is. Even though Joseph's lineage is through Solomon, just to show, it's still, you know, Judah. But Joseph had nothing to do with him biologically. But with Mary, it's Nathan, one of the unknown sons of David, who did nothing but be mentioned in this genealogy, which I, I'll take that. Did you catch that? Correct. Correct. All right. If, did everybody else get that? Well, I'm putting that up someday because I think it's necessary. If you could just view it this way. 
God is concerned about bloodline, but he's also concerned about throne. A king needs to be a king in more than just one realm. And so he, Jesus, had to show his kingship through Solomon's throne, not Solomon's blood. That fair? All right. Just watch this a couple of times, and you probably get it if you didn't catch it right now. Praise God. So let's continue reading Luke. I want to I finish this off because I, I really want you to get a good picture of who Luke is. They used the eyewitness report circulating among, among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Whoa. What's the difference between this and a Matthew, a Mark, and a John? I, I just tossed something out there. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Who was taught? Theophilus. You know what his name means? You know, I was looking at you, right? Yeah. His name means, what's, what's philos? Philosophy. Study of God. Theo is God. The study of God. His name means the study of God. And Theophilus is a friend of Luke, who was a Greek. A little bit about Luke. Luke was half Greek and half Jewish. Luke was half Greek and half Jewish. Why is that important? Because Luke was extremely educated. If you were Greek, you were considered an educated person. So he had Jewish and Greek within him. And so when you hear his writings, you go, wow, this guy here is so detailed. He wants to make sure whoever's reading it understands in full what's going on not just for the moment, but for future events. And you'll see how he connects a lot of Exodus to his writings. Now, a little bit about Luke on the continuance part. Can anybody tell me what other book Luke wrote? Man, we're going to learn some stuff here. He didn't write Hebrews. Acts. The book of Acts was also written by Luke. Listen to this. Luke was smart enough to know everything doesn't end with Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting. He knew that the Acts of the Apostles were going to be a continuation of what he wrote. So Luke and Acts are really like one book, right? If you, you can literally go from Luke right into Acts. And then you find out that not just Jesus did what he did, but the people he taught did it too. The, the, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. Because now they're the ones doing the miracles. They're the ones feeding the people. 
They're the ones doing all these supernatural things because it was not supposed to be a story of one event or one person. It was what did that person bring and cause others to do. We're here today because of the book of Acts. The continuation of the power of God. Who understands what I'm saying? God's power was never intended to remain in that region in that time. This trip that I just took, God gave me a moment to stop and think. A prophet called me up and spoke to me. We, we came to a realization. It's not good to be cocky. It's not good to be pompous. But it is very important to know who you are. And sometimes because of the, the chatter and, and the distractions, we tend to forget about who we are. We start thinking that we're, I really don't have that much. And God said, you, you don't, I gave you so much. And you're concerned about what people are worried about? I'm telling you, whether you're in front of one person or 10,000 people, you will have the same effect. I called you for the people. I, I sat back. I went, whoa. Both my wife and I, we came to the conclusion, wow, sometimes we get caught up with things and we forget about who we are. And it doesn't mean that we're better than anyone. No, it means that I know my, my role. I know my position. I know what I'm good at. Do you know what you're good at? And once you know what you're good at, practice that. Move in that. Build on that. And God will make you not a jack of all trades, but a master of one who knows a little bit about other trades. Overview, the Greco-Roman world, the cultural context of Luke's gospel is heavily influenced by the Hellenistic and Greco-Roman world. Greek was the lingua franca, lingua franca of the region. You, you, know, you ever heard that term, lingua franca? What does lingua franca mean? That was what, what English is to us today. If you speak anything outside of the English you were taught, if you speak ghetto English, they call it Ebonics, right? That English is still a form of communication. However, it's not lingua franca. The language of, the, of that time is what dominates. And eventually, we know what happens when that breaks off. You know, Spanish, Portuguese, um, Italian, uh, Romanian, and what's the other one? And French, thank you. Those five languages were ghetto languages of Latin. They just became a language. Correct. So Latin was, very good, Latin was the lingua franca. It was the language that only the professionals knew. They knew. Like, if you knew how to read Latin, you were a, and I'm, I'm not saying this exaggerated, 
You are a God, little g. You were considered the 3% of the world. You, you read Latin? So because the majority of the people did not know how to read, they ended up forming their own form of Latin. So one region took Latin, made French, another one Italian, another one Spanish, another one Portuguese, and another one Romanian. That's why in that language you find that there are a lot of words that are what? Very similar. That's the Romance language. You see, you're getting history up in here as well. But this is going to help you as you navigate through the Word of God. You're not going to be a novice. This is my goal. This church is different. The goal here is to make you professional in your bringing people to the feet of Jesus. Where you're not caught off guard and you understand what's what. Yeah, uh, no, you can't fool me. You can't come and tell me something in the word that I know is not there. So you're not going to pull me into a cult. You know where cults thrive? They thrive from ignorance. And people just wanting to be involved. I just want to be a part of. I just want to be a part of. And they, they, they tackle that area of making sure that, you know what, we'll take care of you, but not teach you. And even taking care of you, that's not, that's not even the, the main thing. But let's continue. Jewish context. Despite, despite the Hellenistic influences, the Gospel of Luke maintains strong ties to his Jewish roots. Because Luke was half Greek and half Jewish, he got the best of both worlds. It's like when you're half Puerto Rican, half Dominican. You get the best of both worlds. That was supposed to make you laugh. Y'all so serious. You know, you get you get you get a uh, um, mango and you get mofongo. You get both. You start understanding the dynamics. Well, he understood both worlds. And he was able to deal with the Greeks and at the same time deal with the Jewish people. And he was renowned. What does that mean? He was well respected in both areas. So the Greeks knew what he was about, and the Jewish people knew what he was about too. He wasn't a priest, but I'm going to tell you what he was that really differentiated him from everyone else. He was one of the 70. Remember we talked about the 70? There's, there's the 3, the 12, the 70. He was one of the 70. That's good to know, by the way. That means when Jesus was sending people out to do miracles, signs, and wonders, he was there too. Remember, the 70 were given power. So the 70 were out there doing exactly that. Christian community. Luke's gospel was written primarily for the Gentile Christian. Gentile Christians, not the Jewish Christians. Matthew was written for the Jews, Jewish Christians. But Luke was written for the Gentile Christians. The audience was focused on how the life of Jesus can reflect an orderly life. In other words, anybody who's reading the book of Luke 
is going to find that there is an area there of how to live a life, not just a Jewish lifestyle, but a lifestyle according to Jesus. He deviates from that. That's the reason why he was attracted to who? Who did, who did he become partners with? Anybody know? Who did Luke become partners with? With Paul. It was a Paul and Luke thing. As a matter of fact, Luke was Paul's physician. And so you find in the book of Acts a transition take place. At one point, uh, Luke is talking about what's happening. As time goes on, you see the language changes, and he's, he's speaking as if he's there too. Because in most of the journey of Paul, Luke was with him. Say again. So Paul, Paul, people have, that's been debatable. Because she said, wasn't Luke Paul's spiritual son? And I say no. But that's been debatable. Because Paul was studying a lot of people. Right? But he never called him his son. Because there's something about this doctor that's rolling with you from the very beginning who was even part of Jesus' group before you. You're not going to call him your son. But he was always with them. And here's the other thing. Luke still acknowledged him as a leader. So you don't have to be a son to acknowledge that someone is your leader. You know, he acknowledged Paul as a leader. And it was okay. And Paul acknowledged him. And that level of acknowledgement is what makes the church strong. I can't go around talking about how great I am. You shouldn't do it either. But we can talk about each other. I could tell everybody about what I feel about Claudio. They can't stop me. Claudio, he's loyal. Honorable, the man loves the Lord. He loves the Word. You want to you want to sit down with him. You want to really attra attract him and and talk about the Word of God. He's been doing it for years. That's how I met him. Woo, Jesus in a living room, hungry for the Word. Would tell me that's it. Every time we got done, oh here we go. That's it. You're coming back next week again. We're going to come back. Next? Yeah, of course. What year was that? About five years ago. About five years ago. I can speak about you, but don't go around speaking about you. Yeah, man, I love the word a lot. Yeah. When I was in those meetings, I'm the one who asked the most questions because I know all the word. And there are people like that. All right, let me leave that alone. I got 15 minutes left. Social concerns. Social concerns in the book of Luke. Luke emphasizes themes of social justice, compassion for the marginalized. That's a big item for Luke. And the inclusion of the outcasts. We're going to have fun. In the book of Luke, you're going to find that there is literally, literally a strategy of the storyline of Jesus, dealing with one person of the same type and then dealing with another person of the same type. In other words, it's going to make sense later on, I promise. He'll take a story, and that storyline 
would show the bad side of a profession. Then he'll go over here, same profession, but the good side of the story. And it's done on purpose. And by the time we're done with this eight weeks, you're going to be able to jump on that immediately. You're going to be able to see it, and you're going to be able to give it to somebody else. Understanding the historical and cultural context of both Exodus and Luke is crucial for the interpreting of the text. You, want to be, you don't want to be always accurate, but you want to be able to know something. Being able to have the message, uh, the broader narrative of the message is going to be important. Literary style, I got what, 10 minutes? I'm going to do it real fast. In Exodus... The historical narrative. The book of Exodus primarily presents historical events. So you can literally look at Exodus, pull it out, and see all that's going on around the world during that same time period. So in other words, Exodus is not an isolated event that did not affect other writings in the world. There are writings, even in Egyptian hieroglyphics, that show that Exodus actually took place. It is important that we, as a church, come to the realization that our story is not just our story, but the story connected to other people's story. Because if they're coming to you and going, but I don't see that here. Oh, let me, let me show you. Look, historically, there is a parallel. That's important to know. Law and regulation. And mm, I may not touch on this too much right now, but just know that Exodus includes an extensive legal section that details the Mosaic law. And it covers these different aspects of religious, ethical, and social life. Like, for example, what can I give that's a basic? One of the laws was don't eat milk from the cow. Oh, scratch, scratch that. Don't eat the mother cow along with the baby cow in its same milk. Now, in other words, the mother's milk with, with the mother, slaughter the mother, slaughter the child with the, within the same milk. Is there really something wrong with that? Like, can, can you die if you ate that? If you ate the, drank the milk with the, the mother's meat and the baby's meat together? Say it loud. What happened? Why does it make you sick? Do we have, a, do we have the microphones? Okay. Blue ones? My wife tells me I have problems with, with seeing colors. What, what am I there supposed to be saying? Say what you said. Oh, I said when, when, when you say it like that, it makes me sick. Stop. <laughs> when I say it, it makes you sick. Does the actual meat make you sick? But do you understand the psychology 
See, you don't want a thought process like that to run rampant within the community because then it becomes a norm. Wow. Mother, child, death. It becomes a picture in your mind. You said it's just just thinking about it. So that's why you'll find in Exodus, that's why I said I don't want to get into it because that's when we get into Leviticus. Leviticus has laws that make no sense to the natural mind. But it makes a lot of sense spiritually. Like, for example, I, I love this one, right? If a child talks back to their parents publicly, they can be publicly stoned. If that were the case, I'd have been gone a long time ago. Long time ago. The proof is in the pudding, right? And a lot of us wouldn't be here right now, a whole lot of us. Mom, get off my case. Listen, the laws were set up because of what would happen next. It was never just based on the moment. It was what is the message being given? All of Leviticus is about what's the message being given? What are they going to understand now? What's going to be running rampant? And there are some moments where they would eliminate the whole family because the crime was so big. Even people who had nothing to do with it. (sighs) Five minutes. Let's just, I'm going to just bypass a couple of them. All right, so liberation and deliverance. You're going to find that Luke has a lot of deliverance messages. The book of Luke, almost as much as the book of Mark, has a whole lot of deliverance narratives. And something about deliverance, guys, my wife and I went to St. Augustine, which, by the way, was the first settlement in the United States of America. We went there and we got to hear the stories, the horror stories. And one of those horror stories, we went to to the first prison in the United States. We saw the gallow where they would hang people, where they would pay to be a part of the audience to watch people hang. I had to stop because it was a tour, right? I had to stop it. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. We just said that too fast and we walked away. That was way too fast. I said, you mean to tell me that people paid to come and watch somebody get hanged? And this lady next to me, it was Jesus that told me to stay. Keep your mouth shut, son. This lady said, yeah, because, you know, they didn't have entertainment. They didn't have no cable TV. Reconciliation, uh, forgiveness. And I just walked in. My face was different. My wife and I, even afterwards, we asked the tour guide. I said, let me ask you something. I just need to know. How many of these individuals that were in this prison were of color? 95%. 
because during the transition of the slave trade, they found a justification. What did they find? They said, if we can make it legal, then we'll have them be slaves, but not slaves, but prisoners. I said, we've got to understand something. This goes beyond color. This has to do with just morality. So when I left that place, I walked out. I, I went to this other, this, it was a church area. And I was listening to what the person was saying regarding the church. And I read it. It said that the, the Native Americans that were getting sick because of the European sicknesses, the only ones that were not getting sick and they saw that were the priests. Catholic priests were not getting sick. Everyone else was, even, even the other Europeans. So all of the Native Americans went to that one spot because they said if these guys are not getting sick, there must be some type of power there. Just for those who say, well, you know, it's the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church held the Bible for a while. They were the ones holding the anointing. And those people got to experience the anointing. I'm sharing this with you guys because when we go over Exodus and Leviticus, you're going to find captivity in different forms. Leviticus is Leviticus, Exodus and Luke. You're going to find that there's going to be slavery in different forms. You can be a slave to your family, slave to your spouse, slave to your work, and not realize it because you've been in it so long you don't know. You, don't, you, you, you can't even tell. And that whole lifestyle that I, I got to witness firsthand showed me that a whole entire nation can be blinded just by entertainment. Just to be entertained. We've got work to do, church. That's why we need to learn the word. We got to be able to sit in front of kings and sit in front of dignitaries and show them, yeah, I know what you know. You don't need a degree, you just need the knowledge. Divine presence. Throughout Exodus, the presence of God is emphasized, particularly through the pillar of the cloud and fire, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence guides, protects, and leads the Israelites through the journey. What does the anointing do? It guides, it protects. What else? I just, I just kind of mentioned a couple of them. Guides, protects, leads. It feeds you. The more you are in the anointing of God, the more you don't have to worry about the essentials of life. There was a lot said with that. Your essentials of life, the more you're in the presence of God, the more he takes care of the essentials so that you can continue doing his will. When you believe that you are chosen by God, you end up doing things that you could not, you didn't believe you could do. The power of God is accessible to you. Last but not least, compassion and mercy. Salvation. Compassion and mercy. 
Luke highlights Jesus' compassion and mercy towards the marginalized and outcasts of society. The parable of the Good Samaritan, prodigal son, all of these different parables is because there's emphasis on the ones that could not do it. The marginalized of the society. What does it mean to be marginalized? Can anybody tell me, what, is it, what does that mean to be marginalized? If you're marginalized, what does that mean? That sounds good, though. Because you could be separate as a billionaire and be separate. But is that being marginalized? Hit, hit, no access. Not having access, that's marginalized. Now you don't have what everybody else is able to have. You're, you're disenfranchised. Anybody, anybody heard that term before? Especially during voting? When we understand what Jesus was trying to do, his desire was to show the world that this is not about color. This is not about race. This is about moral standards. It is about character in Christ. And it is about inheritance. These are the things that it's all about. And so with that said, I'm going to ask everybody to please stand. While both Exodus and Luke share some common themes, such as the presence of God, deliverance, they differ in literary style because they come from different times and moments and seasons. Exodus employs historical narrative and legal sections to depict Israelites' liberation. However, Luke presents a well-structured gospel narrative emphasizing Jesus, inclusive and universal. A Christ that is the Messiah, not subject to a place, a location and time, but having access to every human being on the planet. You let him in, he'll come.